I've been in churches before where I'd rather go to children's worship than stay. <laughs> so let's not be that way today. Let's, uh, let's pray together today. Father God, we are so grateful to be in your house, gathered here for one reason and one reason only, and that's because of your son Jesus who called us uh, son, daughter, child, lover. Uh, pray, Lord, today that he might be glorified, that we might learn more about him, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would descend upon this place and uh, make stubborn hearts be free, uh, make hard hearts be soft, open our minds because we have it all figured out. And teach us the truth today. We pray this and we give all glory and honor to our Savior Jesus. Amen. I'm totally excited uh, to be here today because some of you know there was a chance I wouldn't be. Uh, we did a little skiing yesterday, a first time for me. And um, I appreciated the, the uh, sentiment of many of the moms who were there um, uh, who kept, and Fred Elke, just to be honest, <laughs> who kept saying, you're going to ski today? Yeah, I'm going to ski today. Like that. Like what? Yeah, I've got two legs, two arms. I'm going to ski. I don't know. I appreciated their concern for me. It was a little unsettling, though, because I kept thinking, what am I getting into then? They keep saying, seriously? You're going to ski? How old are you? One of the kids I met yesterday, how old are you anyway? <laughs> Let me tell you this. Too old to ski, apparently. Um, We've, uh, it was a great day. We've been talking yesterday about, um, or not yesterday, but in the last few weeks about walking with Jesus and what that means. And uh, we've been going through all these things about Mary storing up treasures in her heart. And if you've not been with us, I just want to fill you in a bit with uh, Andrew and Simon Peter at baffled at the wedding feast where Jesus turns water into wine and blesses the sacred event, condoning it for us Christians. How about that? And uh, then we talked about the baptism of Jesus, this amazing time. And someone pointed out to me, and we shouldn't miss this in the scriptures, that this is a time where the triune God is seen. And people, if you ever have engaged people in scripture, they will say to you, like, there's no Trinity in the Bible. And let, let me be honest with you, the Trinity is a very hard thing to understand, let alone explain. Okay, there's some things we take by faith. But there's this revelation of God in three persons that we see. And in Jesus' baptism, someone pointed out to me, all three are present. Because Jesus is there, God speaks, the Father, and the Holy Spirit descends. And there, in, in this one little succinct piece of Scripture, is the Trinity kind of drawn out for us, what that looked like um, at that moment in time. We, we struggle as a community to, be, to know what that means. Do we cheat a bit on this? Do we cheat God, the Father? You know, uh, what does it mean for us to have baggage with our dad? Do we, do we let God own that baggage somehow? Do we, I don't know, do we shortcut some things? Are we afraid of the Holy Spirit? I've talked to some of you who said, man, I don't get this Holy Spirit stuff. It freaks me out. I, I, you know, I have the same problem sometimes. I start to pray prayers like, like, God, let your Holy Spirit begin to open my mind to your scriptures. And then I think, what am I asking for? I always thought this was intriguing. You know, I've, I've walked around, I don't know if you've done this, I've walked around before, I used to take walks on the beach when we go to Florida, and I've spoke aloud to God, because a lot of times you have to pray, you pray in public, you pray over lunch, you pray with your friends, and you kind of pray in your heart, you pray quietly, you don't want to make a scene about this thing, you're praying in your closet. But I've actually walked and I've been alone on the beach and I've spoke into the abyss. If you've ever walked by the ocean, it's just this big blackness, and you speak into it, and I've said, God, reveal what you want me to do, talk to me. Where are we going? You know, I always love that idea when you're a kid, when you're a little kid, you'll go anywhere with your dad. You know that? 
You don't care where it is. Dad says, you want to go? Sure. Where are we going? <laughs> you know, and the second question is only like a passing question. Your main question is, your main answer is, yeah, I'll go. Where are we going? And I was talking to God that way. Where are we going? I'll, I'll go. Where are we going? And I really thought for a moment, what if God spoke back? You know, have you ever seen uh, sand when it gets hit by lightning, it turns into glass, it just melts into a puddle? You know, I'm pretty sure if God, God has mercy, because if he ever spoke that way to me, I would melt. Do you believe that? Just absolutely melt. So we're a little afraid of some of these things. The Holy Spirit, what does that mean? It's kind of a scary thing, and it manifests differently for different people. And what does that look like? I just encourage you Lord, uh, folks to treasure these mysteries up in your heart and to, to allow some grace to pervade. The baptism of Jesus reveals the Trinity of the Godhead. And then the calling of his disciples last week, the salty dogs, Andrew, Simon, James, and John. And so that's where we are, walking with Jesus. We're trying to get a real kind of like down and dirty look at Jesus. And I hope you've been following in that way. And I want to say something else. I hope that it's not just about this kind of mental gymnastics to kind of switch off from Jesus, son of God, to Jesus, son of man, right? I don't want this to be like a mental Sunday morning exercise. I want you to start to wonder as you walk through your life, where are you missing Jesus among you? Where is Jesus working right in your midst, right where you are, and you're not seeing it because you think that God is over there and all of us are left over here? I hope you understand that. So that is what we're kind of trying to do here. What does this look like to follow Jesus for the first disciples? And then what does it look like to follow Jesus for us? Because we are descendants of the first disciples by our faith. Here we go. I was talking about skiing a minute ago. Um, I, I have a, a trick knee. Does anybody have a trick knee? I always heard old people saying they have a trick knee, and I was like, yeah, well, um, I, I have a trick knee because I know because yesterday when I was skiing, this knee was doing some tricks. <laughs> like when Matt saw me fall at the top of the slope and just lay there and like wallow around like a two-year-old, couldn't get up, the poles were slipping out. This knee was the trick. And I don't mean it's a trick knee and that some of you may have where your knee, I just, this knee is killing me today. Absolutely killing me today. So if I had to blame something for my lack of ability to ski, it's this knee. Or it was what I did to this knee while I was trying to ski yesterday. It's a trick knee. And uh, it was amazing, though, because I wanted, there were so many of us yesterday that went skiing, and we were just, I was terrified when I got up. I forgot the bunny slope. You get to the top thing there. It was terrifying. But yet, I don't know, is that faith? Is that courage? We decided to go ahead and just, just inch a little closer until you lose some control. And let me tell you, there were some spectacular wipeouts yesterday. Uh, Lauren and Lauren, the two young ladies went with us, impressed me more than anyone because they would not quit. You know, and we always say women are the weaker vessel and stuff, you know. And it hurt. When you went down, this was no joke. And they would get back up, and we would try to encourage them. We were falling, too. It hurt. It hurt when you fell. But we kept trying and trying. And, you know, by the end of the day, we were skiing. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. So nothing stopped us uh, from pursuing this endeavor we had before us. I pray that's the way we are with our faith as well. We're going to read today from the book of Mark, the next uh, piece of Jesus' ministry, if you will, the next kind of revelation of how he worked. 
And this is a big issue. We're going to cover it in one Sunday, and uh, therefore we won't do it full justice, but we have to look at it. And it's one of those things that is always hard to cover. It's Mark chapter 1, verse 29 is where we're going to start. And if you have an NIV, your header reads like mine. It says, Jesus heals many. Jesus heals many. Healing ministry is a very difficult thing, I believe, to understand. It's a very difficult thing to look at the scriptures and see the way Jesus works and know what's going on. And so I'm going to ask today that you look at the scriptures with me and we'll discern together by God's grace what exactly is happening here with Jesus and his healing ministry. Verse 29 says this, As soon as they left the synagogue, they being James, John, Andrew, and Simon, right? Because they had gone there after the calling of the disciples. Jesus went and taught in the synagogue. As a matter of fact, we'll talk later in Capernaum. Capernaum is where he taught. They went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. So all five of these guys are rolling along, and probably some other folks who are following. And Simon's mother-in-law was in bed there with a fever. And so they told Jesus about her, right? They just kind of said, hey, my mother-in-law is sick with a fever. So Jesus goes to Simon's mother-in-law, and he takes her hand, and he helps her up. And it says, the fever left her immediately, it's implied there, and she began to wait on them. And I was just intrigued by this because it starts off in this most subtle way. You know, have you ever, have you ever had the flu or cold this season, you know? Um, it's miserable. And she's sitting there with a fever, and Jesus just comes in, and he makes it sound so easy, right? He just takes her hand and lifts her up, and she's healed. It's amazing. And so, you know, we talk about what it looks like when Jesus heals, and it seems as though it's something that just pours out of who he is. It pours out of this idea of this being holistic, you know, healing, holistic. Talk about holistic medicine these days. Complete care, every type of healing. When Jesus would show up and touch you, it changes everything. My problem with this, of course, is I've been in sick in bed before, and Jesus touches me, and I don't get up, and I'm all better, right? That's not our experience. We still have pain. We still suffer, and there's even more questions than that about healing, but Jesus says, he says here, uh, Mark says, he took her hand. He held it. To take her hand there, it's like to hold it with authority. It's not just he went over and kind of took her hand, like gently, tenderly. He took it as if he owned it, as if he had some dominion over this. Jesus is going to start to expand his reign as king. And he's going to start in these most subtle ways with individuals touching them like this and wrapping his hand around them and claiming them. And then he pulls her out of this, this hollowness that she's in. He helped her up. He aroused her. It's, it's the same idea of waking her from sleep. It's the same word. It's like, get up, get up, get up. You're okay. And she had a fever, and it says the fever left her. It was gone. You know how much it left her? It divorced from her. That's what the text says. It was done with her. This is what Jesus does. And she began, this is interesting, we talked about how when, whenever you follow Jesus, you're ba- we talk about baptism, you come up, God is pleased, uh, you get the Holy Spirit, and your ministry begins. This is what it says, she diakonosed, she diakoneo, 
them. This is the, this is the, you all want to be a deacon, and you all want to be a deacon, you know? It's a woman deacon. Because she got up and she started to serve the tables. She started to wait on them, meet their needs. We, you know, coming out of a church background, we got, we got the deacons up on this high holy mountain, brother. They're supposed to be walking around the tables. You ever seen those guys? Wiping them after you get done, leaving the tip. Those are deacons. And she got up and she was a deacon to them. Well, that evening after sunset, this is between 6 p.m. and dark, it says, between sunset that evening, the people began to bring to Jesus all the sick and all the demon-possessed. <laughs> and right, right there, I'm like, well, now wait a minute. Because how does that happen, first of all? You heal a mother-in-law in the privacy of a home, and all of a sudden, everyone starts showing up with their sick friends, you know, and then, and then uh, that's fair enough. But then demon-possessed people come out too. And I just thought, and there's another thing, right? I'm like, a demon-possessed, what does that mean, demon-possessed? And, and in fairness, a lot of folks would have thought this is kind of the same thing. There were disciples who asked Jesus, why are these people sick? Is it because they've sinned? Is it because they're possessed by demons? What is going on with these people who are ill? We fully don't understand what's going on with our bodies, our systems of health. And they didn't either. And they bring these folks to them, and uh, I'm just intrigued by that because it says, they bring the sick, those who are wearing misery. Man, you, you ever felt sick? I felt pretty sick last night after skiing all day. I felt pretty sick this morning when I couldn't walk up and down the stairs. And the demon-possessed, and I want you to hear this today because I was stunned by this. You know what it means to be demon-possessed, the def definition we found here? It means to be under the authority of an inferior God. <sighs> to be under the power of an inferior God, little g, God, you see? And now I started to identify with these folks that, that they were bringing to Jesus. It's the people who put everything else first. Everything else is more important than the big G God. You know what I'm saying? And these people are sick, just like those who are wearing misery. We all do it, man. Serving false gods. Bowing to things, brothers and sisters, that are not worthy for you to bow to. They don't deserve it. The Bible says demon-possessed, if we live that way. So the whole town gathered at the door, at the entrance to this home, and Jesus healed them. He therapied them, the many with various diseases. He just started healing everyone who was coming in. And he drove out all those de demons, those demons, the inferior gods. Wait a minute. He drove out the ones that were inferior to God, but superior to man. The things that were inferior to God, less than godly, but still had complete control over human beings. And I want to tell you, if you've been around ministry at all for any length of time, you see people whose lives are ruled by things that are less than godly, but they have absolutely no control over. They can't beat it alone. Do you hear what I'm saying today? They can't stop it alone. And Jesus drives these things out of their life. They don't belong here in the holy temple of God. And he drives them out, the various diseases. 
But he would not let the demon speak because they knew who he was. <laughs> these other powers, these other principalities, these other things that were ruling the people's lives knew the truth before Peter confessed it. Do you hear what I'm saying? They knew the truth that this guy was the son of God. They knew the truth that this human being somehow had authority over them to drive them out. And they left. And he silenced them. Next verse, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 35, says this. Very early in the morning then, the next day, we're to assume, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., if y'all ain't early risers, don't feel alone because I'm not either, okay? Between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., it says, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off, left, to a solitary place. This is a lonely place. This is a place of desert. It's a place that John could understand. Jesus got up from this house. Can you imagine the commotion? The night before, the door was packed. They couldn't get, I mean, I don't know how he finished. How did Jesus ever finish healing these folks the night before? And somehow he gets some rest and he gets up while everyone else is probably just conked out and dreaming about the glory of God and dreaming about the amazing things they've seen and dreaming about the healings that's been happening and everything. And he wakes himself up and he leaves them all behind and he goes to a lonely place to pray. And that's what he did. He got down before the Father he drew near to God, and he made his wishes known. That kind of bugs me a little bit. Made a wish, you know? Because Jesus' wish was always this. He always, Jesus always seemed to have his own things, you know, he would like to do. But then he says, whatever you want to do is what I'm going to do. Is that fair to do that as a Christian? Is it fair to say, oh, God, I want it so bad? I tell you what, if you don't admit before God the things that you really, really, really want— you're being dishonest. It's easy to cut right to the hole, whatever you want, because I don't want nothing. Baloney. Baloney. We all have things that we hold so close to our heart. We have these things we want so bad, we'll do anything to get it, unless we're with Jesus. And then we can say, like Jesus said, I want it so bad, God, but you know what? You got better things for me than I can ever want for myself, so I'll wait upon you. You show me what you want me to do. Jesus goes out and makes wishes, always giving into the will of God. He goes out to the lonely place. He leaves all this behind. Can you imagine? Have you ever been in the middle of success? You talk about, about uh, Simon and Andrew who had the biggest catch in their lives and they walked away from it. And here's Jesus, this healing ministry, unbelievable. And he leaves it and goes out to the solitary place. This becomes important. It becomes important. But I want you to get for right now Someone said one time to me, someone wiser than I said, that the two most faithful companions Jesus had was solitude and prayer. He was always, always, you'll see in the scriptures, seeking a spot to be alone with God and to pray before the Father. That is our model as Christians. This is what we are called to do. We can do the greatest ministry in the world, but we've got to find a solitary place, get before God. And you know what? You can fake it, fake it, fake it, and no one's going to know it. But you will know, and God will know, and that's the relationship we're talking about today, this morning. I hope you hear that. You will know the truth of your relationship with God. God knows the truth of your relationship with God. And what we see doesn't matter too much. Because you can put on your smiley face, you can say all the right words, you can know the Bible inside and out. It ain't going to make any difference if you're not talking to God the Father if you're not before him in prayer in a lonely place. 
Simon and his companions. Here goes Simon, right? Simon Peter, you got to love him. He comes and they go looking for Jesus. And I love the way it says looking because actually it kind of means they raced toward him. They wake up in the morning. Can you imagine? There may be people at the gate already. And they're going, where's he at? I mean, these people are going to have a lynch mob before long, right? And they run to find him. And they race out in the middle of nowhere. And there they find Jesus praying alone in, in the, the lonely place, in the desert, in this, in this place where no one is at. Listen to their response. Here we go. They exclaimed when they found him. They eurekoed him. Eureka yesterday. They exclaimed when they found him, everyone is looking for you. Now, isn't that funny? Do you, do you see what they're kind of doing there? They're kind of calling him on the carpet. Where have you been? Sounds like Jesus' parents when he's in the temple, doesn't it? Whew. They race out there. Where have you been? Everyone's looking for you, they say to Jesus. And he replies to them, you know what? Let's go somewhere else, to a nearby village. So I can preach there also, because that is why I've come. Jesus says, I'm going to go and proclaim the message somewhere else. I'm not going back to that house. I'm not going back to that setting. I'm not going back to those people. We're going over here. Now, you've got to see this, you know, because I, I bet you when they left, it was kind of a mess. And they race out to find him. They think they find him. We're going to drag him back. Come on back over here. Jesus got work to do. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. We're going over there now. We're going over here. But you know what they did? They followed him. So he traveled throughout Galilee now, Jesus and his disciples, and he's preaching in their synagogues, and he's driving out demons. And his message, it seems, is this, and this is found in Matthew's gospel, but his message when he goes around preaching is three-part. He teaches in the synagogues. He proclaims that the kingdom of God has drawn near. This is a consistent message with him. He's saying it's this time of gathering, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later again. And then he says, and he's healing all who are sick. This is what Jesus' ministry looks like. Again, we talked about um, John before. Remember John? One of the greatest things is that John's in prison, and he doesn't think he should be in prison probably because he was proclaiming the message of God. And then he's, he, he begins to wonder so much about this Jesus guy. He sends his disciples out to ask Jesus, are you really the guy or is there someone else? And Jesus says, Jesus says to uh, John's disciples, he says, um, tell him this, the blind can see, the lame can walk. And it's this idea that, do you see the ministry I'm doing? Of course I'm the guy, right? But even John, the proclaimer of the Messiah, is starting to wonder, who is Jesus? Proclaiming the kingdom and removing in fear of God. It's the last verse there. You see it? Preaching in the synagogues, that's proclaiming the kingdom of God, drawing near and driving out gods that are not worthy, that are not worthy of worship. Mark chapter 1, verse 40, here we go. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. He says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. A man with leprosy. Matt and I started having a real long conversation about this, what this meant. We're going to look at three healings today. The fever, the leprosy, and the paralytic. And this is the leprosy guy. And he comes to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, you make me clean. So Matt and I start talking. And Matt's like, well, what's the big deal? You know, why, what's, what's the deal with leprosy? We start talking about what leprosy means and what, what, what it is. And, and I said, well, you know, Matt, because Matt goes, well, you couldn't probably contract from touching someone, right? So what's the big deal with Jesus touching this guy? You know, well, we know about the clean laws, the Levitical laws, right? You can't go in a synagogue. You can't go in a temple. You, if you're not 
pure, if you dare to touch dirty things, you can no longer be part of the kingdom of God. You can only be part of the proclamation in the temple. You can't be part of the power structures. You can't be a teacher in the Jewish tradition until you go through a period of being cleansed. This is the model. And Matt says, yeah, but Jesus knew, right? Jesus knew. And Matt and I talked to this a little bit, you know. And I said, you know, what's the closest thing we get to this in modern days? I tell you, I went and visited an AIDS, uh, I don't know what you call it, hospice or an AIDS apartment complex in Belleville, Illinois. In Belleville, Illinois, right in the center of town. And we went there as part of a ministry class I had, and I was very uncomfortable. And, and, and we were supposed to come and listen and hear AIDS patients talk about what it means to be an AIDS patient in our country. And this is all fine and good. We're feeling pretty good about this, right? But at the end, they decide that they want, they've taught us all the facts about AIDS. You cannot contract it from a handshake. You cannot contract it from this. You can, how, you, how, it's, how, it's got, how you get it, how you can get it, right? And so we're like feeling knowledgeable. We know it. And we're feeling, you know, we've been here. We're listening. We're being good Christians. And then at the end they say, I would like you all to give me a hug before you leave. And we had kids that couldn't do it. What if, what if I touch them? I get infected. See? It's all great when it's here, when it's theory. But when you got to get your hands dirty, when you got to actually be with the lowest of the low, well, that's a whole different story. So I want to warn you about this next image coming up because this is an image I found on leprosy. And uh, I just want you to take a look at it with me to see what Jesus saw at his knees begging. Leprosy was so bad that people thought it wasn't even human anymore. They were treated as complete outcasts, completely outside of the realm of accessibility. And this isn't, a, this isn't a, it's an ancient problem. We're still dealing with leprosy in many parts of the world. The idea of leprosy, it looks so bad, but it's like, it's like the scaliness. It's like this, it's a skin condition. And this guy comes up. Let's read it again. A man with leprosy comes up to Jesus and begs him on his knees. You know, begging on his knees isn't quite accurate. I love that song we sang earlier, fall on your knees, because that's what this guy did. He walked up and just fell at Jesus' feet, just collapsed on his knees. And then he didn't just ask. He cried out. He cried out to the living God. He cried out to Jesus, and he said to him on his knees, if you are willing, if it is your desire, if it's your wish, Lord, you can make me clean again. And being filled with compassion, a stirring in his gut. Actually, it means bowels, if you can believe that. The place of compassion, the, the writers of this text thought it was in your bowels. Have you ever gotten just gut sick about somebody? You hear some news that somebody's going through something, and you're so moved, you get sick. You can't eat. Jesus was moved with compassion, and he reached out his hand. Here it is again, folks. As if one who has authority, and he touched the man. He kindled in him a fire. And Jesus says these words to him. I am willing. 
be clean. And immediately the leprosy leaves him and he was cured. Wow. A guy who's outside, who has this incurable skin condition, comes and drops on his knees and says, if you only want it to be that way, you can do it. And Jesus being moved says, I absolutely want that for you. And grabs him as one who has authority and heals him. And the man is cured. Now the leper is probably one of my favorite, favorite, like non-disciple type people in the Bible. Probably one of my favorite looks at someone who touches, who is touched by Jesus, who begs for Jesus' response. Because the next verse says this, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. He meant it. Jesus meant it, folks. He said, see that you don't tell this to anyone. The word means not one person. Do not tell anyone about this, but rather go and give proof. Show yourself to the priests. And offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, this is the same cleansing that Mary had to do after childbirth. Remember we talked about that? It's the same offering at the temple. Here's this guy with leprosy. He's been cured. He's healed. And Jesus says, don't tell one person what I've done for you. Instead, go to the temple and make your sacrifice for your cleansing like Moses did. And why? Listen to what he says. Go because it'll be a testimony a witness, a legal, historical, ethical, something important has happened, and he wants the priest to see it. This is Jesus' command to the one who's been healed. But instead, you see, this cat, he doesn't listen to Jesus. Maybe I like it because it's like disobedience. I hope not. He doesn't listen to Jesus, this guy who just healed him. Listen what he does. Instead, he went out and he started, he began, he was the first to talk freely. And actually, it's not talking again, it's proclaiming, it's curiosal. It's the same thing that Jesus said, I'm doing, I'm proclaiming the kingdom of God. This guy goes out and starts to proclaim freely, spreading the word of God, the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he had to stay out. Where is he at now, folks? In lonely places. It's the same place now. Jesus is stuck in this place where he went out to pray. He can't go into cities anymore because this leper can't keep his mouth shut. And you go, what's going on there? This is why I love this leper. This is why I always talk about Jesus. I always try to live as one who has known the touch of the Messiah. Because, brothers and sisters, you know, I tell you what, you ever seen people, in, one of the things that really bugs me sometimes, you see people in worship and, and you can't tell if they're dead or if they're sleeping or if they're listening. It all looks the same, doesn't it? There's something that happens with this leper when he's touched by Jesus that he can't keep his mouth shut. Do you know that kind of touch in your life? Have you had that kind of an encounter with Jesus Christ where I don't care who it would be, Jesus himself could say to you, don't tell anybody. And you're like, I can't help it, Lord. You healed me. Jesus wanted to witness to the priests and this dude witnessed to everybody else. Everybody else. And so Jesus is stuck out in lonely places. 
And it says this, though. See, here people are resourceful. Yet the people still came from everywhere. So now you can imagine this picture of Jesus out in the middle of nowhere. His ministry is now moved from the towns and villages where he gets to kind of go in and control the environment to this place of loneliness where it actually means he's surrounded on all sides. We're going to talk about this later in the coming weeks, man. This idea that he couldn't get away from these folks. They kept coming. The needs are so great. We talk about that as a church. The needs are so great. They're coming from all sides, Lord. They're coming from all sides. And this is the place of Jesus. So a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum. Now, now this is important because he's gone back now to where we started the story. This is the full circle kind of a story. He goes back to the place he was originally at, this house where the gates were, and he enters Capernaum again. And the people heard he'd come home. You see, it finally happened. Jesus is back. And so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. That's the gate. See that door that was kind of full before where people were crowding in at the door? You ever been to a concert? You ever been to a worship service where you can't get in the building? You have to have overflow rooms? I had it once whenever I graduated. There were so many people at the graduation ceremony that you couldn't get in the room to see it. So they set up this impromptu screen like this and everybody sat outside to watch. This is the situation that's going on here. The first time he's in Capernaum. The second time, it's so crowded you can't even get to the overflow space. You can't get anywhere near the scene of what's happening. So many people have come out. There was no room left. Every seat was filled. Not even outside the door. The standing room was taken up. There was nowhere left to stand. And he began to preach the word to them. Now, this is actually, it's funny because this is a big deal to me. Because earlier, see, Jesus was carry you sowing the, the good news. He was proclaiming it. And then this word here in the NIV, we say preached, it actually means leleo, which is to talk. So now Jesus is just kind of talking to folks. He's been out on this thing. He's been out in the wilderness. He comes back home, and he's just kind of talking to people, and they're just pressing in on him. And he's laleoing the logos, the word of God to them. Isn't that funny? The word speaking the word. So some men came, and they brought a paralytic to him. And they carried, four of these guys carried this paralytic. And since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. They separated the roof, okay? So this is the auditorium. The place is packed. The foyer is packed, everything else. They come right that way. They have a plan. These guys are resourceful. And God always seems to honor resourceful people, you know. These guys are resourceful. And they separate the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, after tearing through the thatched roof, they lowered this man, this paralyzed man, on this mat. Now that must have been a scene. Because you would think, you know, I tell you what would happen. If you were the guy in the back of the line, you were thinking, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Do you ever hate those guys who see the shorter line, they get in the shorter line for you, and you're like, dang it. I could have been in that line. What's wrong with me? They lower him through, and here this guy comes. Man, you think about being, I want to think about being that guy for a minute. You're on this mat. You can't do anything about it, and these four dudes who love you dearly have brought you to Jesus, and they're lowering you through, and you can make no action of your own. You are at their mercy, and they're dropping you through this hole in the roof, lowering you down before this Messiah, this king who has authority. 
And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw what? When he saw the paralytic and the need, he said, it's, no. When the paralytic, like the, the leper, got down on his knees and said, God, if you're willing, no, no. This text is so amazing because it reads quite literally, when Jesus saw Oreo, when he saw not this guy, but those guys who dug a hole in the roof, who dropped their friend through it because they believed Jesus could make a difference, he looked at the paralytic and he said, son, child, your sins are forgiven. Whew. That only makes sense. Because we like a gospel where we can ask for forgiveness, but we can't ask for forgiveness for others. Do you know what I'm saying? These guys did something so faithful. There was so much belief in it that when Jesus saw it, he said, your sins are forgiven. Because of the actions of your friends? That's hard to imagine, isn't it? Feeling good about your Christianity? How many people have you dropped to the roof at the feet of Jesus? How many? It's one heck of a testimony to how people are redeemed. absolutely amazing. So now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there, and they thought to themselves, they were wrestling internally, they were mentally having these gymnastics. We're good at that, right? Because they've they're got seats. They're in the front row. They're, in the, they're, in the, they're listening to this cat, to Jesus talk, and they see this guy lowered in, and they see this, and instead, could you imagine this? My Lord, someone through this roof this morning at the feet of Jesus because they need to be healed, and one of us sat here so smugly and thought about it and how inappropriate it was that they behave that way. I got here early. I got my seat. Y'all are supposed to be outside. And these guys aren't following the rules. And they drop this guy through the roof. And Jesus says this thing, your sins are forgiven. And that's where they really get hung up now. They got something. They got something to run on. The scribes, the teachers of the law, those people who've been writing the law repeatedly for years, faithful to God, Yahweh. And they start to think to themselves, why does this man talk like that? He is speaking evil. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's a great question. And at least they knew enough to ask it. And they were so concerned that this is all going wrong. This can't be of God. And immediately, Jesus knew. He became fully aware. He completely knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking, where? In their hearts. So these folks aren't moved with compassion. They're thinking the stuff in their hearts. They're pondering. They're wrestling. That's all good. But Jesus comes fully aware of what they're thinking in their hearts. And then he speaks to them. And he says to them this, why are you thinking these things? Let me ask you a question. Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Now that's the question that Jesus wanted to ask. Why are you having such a hard time believing that the Son of Man can forgive sins? Right? 
And they say, because we never heard that before. This is a whole different thing. It makes no sense to us. And Jesus says, which of these would be harder? To say cheap words, man. Your sins are forgiven. But they knew they weren't cheap. They knew this was a big thing Jesus was saying. The forgiver of sins. Or to say, get up and walk. And what's their response? They don't say nothing, but what's your response? If Jesus says, which is harder? You would say, well, it's far harder to make him walk. Right? Makes sense to me. And Jesus responds like this. But that you might know that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, we're talking about humanity, this person of Jesus, fully God, fully man. I'm not trying to discredit his deity here. He can't, we can't do it. He can't do it if he's not God. But that you might know the Son of Man has full authority, the strength, the ability on earth here to forgive sins. Dot, dot, dot. And he turns to this paralytic whose sins have been forgiven. And he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, and he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of everyone who was watching. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I love the response. I love the idea. And I tell you, do you ever get that sick feeling in your gut? You want Jesus, you want God to move so profoundly that people can't doubt anymore? You want God to move in people's lives such a way that they'll, they, they, they'd be like the, uh, the leper who can't keep his mouth shut? Do you ever pray with people like that? And Jesus, these guys, these Pharisees are saying, or these um, scribes are saying, well, well, you know, what's the deal? You can't say this. And he says, which is easier? And because they believe it's easier, do you hear what's happening there? Jesus is saying, it is harder to forgive sins than it is to make a paralytic walk. That's a tough thing to hear. It's a tough thing to believe. Because we have a cheap, easy forgiveness, don't we? Don't we, church? It didn't cost me nothing. What was my part in it? I just said, thanks. I just turned and accepted it. It's going to cost Jesus everything. You know what the Bible says about the unclean leopard? Leper, that's us. Fall on your knees and ask God if he's willing to forgive you. You know what it says? It says Jesus became sin. That's what it says. He became sin on the cross so that we might have forgiveness of our sin. The one who was pure, who didn't need to be baptized or even born, came to do the very hard work of dying, of fully becoming sin. Do you think your life stinks? Do you think it's hard to live with your own sin? Imagine living with all sin for all eternity because Jesus did it. Every sin he owned. Which is harder? Jesus is insinuating it's far, far, far harder to forgive sins than it is to have a paralytic walk. It's far, far, far harder to forgive sins than it is to heal a leper. It's far, far, far harder to forgive sins than it is to, to break a fever in a mother-in-law. And he pays the price. We don't pay it. This is his work in us. 
does his work for us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We're going to close today. if, If you are alive, if you are breathing God's air today, I pray you will not leave this place without responding to the word, that you will hear that this healer, this one who just wants to reach out and take your life and all the trouble. Do you have trouble? Man, I got trouble, you know? You know what's funny to me about, about um, pain and suffering? A lot of us have questions like, well, why is there pain in the world? Why, does things, why do things hurt so much? Do you know what true illness is? I want to read something for you about leprosy. It says this, leprosy is actually caused by bacteria. And people who had it, before in the previous times to, to discovering this in like what 1920 or 1845 or something had thought it was hereditary even it was caused by sin the reason i hurt you know the reason i have leprosy leprosy is often referred to as the living death because it ravaged the body and left the victims deformed you see it's a disease that attacks the central nervous system allowing it to impact nearly every area of the body indirectly it's typically transmitted transmitted through airborne moisture droplets produced by coughing or sneezing or, or breathing But once the bacteria enters the body, it begins destroying nerve endings, folks, that lead to a loss of feeling. What? That lead to a loss of feeling and pain. This loss of sensation causes the victim to endure injuries because they have no way of knowing that the tissues or bones are being damaged until it's far too late. This is where we are. This is where we are. If you don't feel anything anymore, if you think you're fine because you put all those feelings away, all the hurt, all the pain, there's no glory in that. If you can't say to God, I need your touch. I need to be healed again. There's no hope for you. We act like in our culture, I took Tylenol this morning so I could walk. Because we know Tylenol does, it stops the pain receptors in your brain from thinking there's pain. But you know what God's doing through my knee? Slow down, you ain't that young. You know, stop being stupid. I gave you a body, take care of it. I don't want to be a kind of person that avoids pain. No way. I want to be that kind of person that, that relies upon God. When you feel that pain, you just turn to God and you say, God, I feel it, I feel it. What are you saying to me? Be the kind of person that says, uh, I know you can do it if you're willing. Make me clean. If you're breathing today, I pray that you are responding that way to God. Let's pray today. I want to pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. We don't want to run away from truth, man. We don't want to run away from the the pain in our lives or the the ways that uh, you've gotten our attention. We want to turn to you, Lord, and just say, here we are. We're listening. What can, we, what can we do? How can we respond? Pray, Lord, today that if there's some folks here who are numb, who can't feel anymore, that they would feel all the pain. They would know it. Because without the pain, Lord, we can't ask for help. Without the pain, we can't ask for forgiveness. Without the pain, we can't find the cure. So, Lord, today I just pray that there's those of us who are numb, we, I pray we would bring that stuff right to your cross. Drop it right at your feet. As awkward as it is and as paralyzed as we are, 
Let that be our act of worship today to you. May Jesus get glory. Amen.